Hey nerdlings, this is Sarah Ashley. If I may interrupt your podcast listening for just a minute, I would really like to talk to you guys about Nerdonomy.com. That's our website. If you guys haven't been to it already, you should really go check it out. We have a page where you can just meet the nerds. We have a blog where we have all of our original content that we write when we're not recording. And we also have listener feedback. So if you guys really want to go ahead and talk to us, see what we have to offer, or even maybe make a nice healthy donation at our merch station, then you can please do so at Nerdonomy.com. All right, and now enjoy your podcast. You're listening to Nerds on Film with Brian Moriarty, Sarah Ashley, Sean Moriarty, and Roxy Noberry. It's awesome, Ron, that you're here today with us because I have a fun little story um, that has kind of a tie-in to Lord of the Rings. Um, I had a fun little nerd moment this past week. Uh, Do tell, please. Yes, it was a fun experience. Um, As our listeners might know, uh, CineQuest has been going on here in San Jose, and it started last Tuesday. And this past, let me see, when, when did I go? I went a few days ago. I think you went on Thursday, right? I, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It was Thursday, and I went and saw the screening of this film called Grand Piano, and it stars Elijah Wood and John Cusick, and uh, <laughs> it's an independent film, um, but it was totally done in the style of Alfred Hitchcock. So it was a very Hitchcockian thriller. And the fun thing is, is that the screening was actually hosted by film critic Harry Knowles. And people may know him as the creator of Ain't It Cool News. And um, he's a pretty infamous guy, pretty infamous character in uh, the film critic world, as he has been responsible for a lot of, um, shall we say, box office successes and box office flops, most notably Batman and Robin. (laughs) Yeah, he he was the one who kind of broke early on that Mm -hmm. the movie was not good no yeah so his review basically spread and um viewers you know reading this review took that as you know fact and didn't go see the movie and the box office receipts i mean it performed so under what was expected that basically the makers of the film blamed harry knowles for the reason that you know the film wasn't successful besides the fact that it was just bad <laughs> right but i mean that one incident alone like shot yeah. his influence up dramatically mm-hmm. and think because of that and cool dot com yeah. uh is what it is today it is the movie nerd mecca yes i mean it, it was one of the first websites he, he started it ba- about like in 1994 i believe so it was when the internet was really starting to become popular and um he made it all himself so he became famous and he basically the cinequest folks interviewed him and basically presented him with the maverick spirit award which is an award that they offer to a lot of um, filmmakers actors writers producers in giving them accolades for their service to the film industry yeah and so so in the interview with Harry, um, he talked a lot about his experience uh, as a film critic and his relationship actually with Elijah Wood. <laughs> so oh, Harry tell. actually claims that uh, he is responsible for Elijah being cast as Frodo in Lord of the Rings. No kidding. Funny story. Wow. Nice. Okay. 
Okay, so tell me. Do tell. Okay, so he knew Elijah in the sense... How did he meet... I don't, for, I don't remember what he said about how he met him necessarily, but he basically knew him as a kid. And Elijah no had... No shit. I know, right? He had just made Flipper. And, <laughs> and Harry was like, yo, Elijah... Um, the cinematic classic Flipper. Don't make movies like that ever again. Come over to my house. I'll show you real cinema. We'll hang out. I'll like give you, you know... A dose of, like, film that you need to have to be a good actor and to be a all-around, like, cinephile. So, <laughs> Elijah Wood hung out with Harry. And basically, together, you know, he basically introduced Elijah Wood to a world of cinema classics and films that really ignited a passion for film in Elijah Wood that he'd never felt before. And um, that being said, uh, Peter Jackson had a relationship with Harry as well, because um, everyone kind of knew about Ain't It Cool News and knew about Harry's influence at that point. So Harry liked Elijah so much and knew that Peter Jackson was making, uh, he was, it, you know, in pre-production for Lord of the Rings. That he recommended Elijah Wood to Peter, telling him that this is a story where we can have a young actor experience a growth of character and in an entire arc of a story, that being the Lord of the Rings story. You know, you have Frodo, who's a sweet, innocent country hobbit, and then he goes on this adventure of a lifetime and comes out at the end of it as this, you know new changed person an adult frankly yeah and elijah wood at that time in his life was still a minor and still you know coming off of flipper and wanting to experience more and wanting to do more films and challenge himself as an actor and uh, harry got even got a role on the faculty at one point like him and elijah were so tight that like he like was on like in a bunch of movies that elijah was in no too. kidding yeah, yeah they had a really interesting friendship so um harry was really stoked about talking about that story but that he basically says that he's responsible in a way for elijah wood's career um and so then we and he talked a lot about his experience as a film critic and just he's a very passionate and really fucking funny guy <laughs> like yeah his sense of humor is uh pretty pretty twisted he's from texas so uh he's he's a little bit of a, of a, of a wisecrack interesting story is um harry knowles is actually confined to a wheelchair and the story of that is he used to go to all these different um, comic cons and kind of conventions, right? And him and his dad would sell comic books and they would do a lot of trading of memorabilia and things like that. And the story goes that he was wheeling a cart up a ramp full of memorabilia and comic books and stuff. And the cart uh, basically flipped on him and landed on him. Wow. Crushing his spine. Yeah. Oh, my God. I had no idea that that's what the cause was. Yeah. That's oh, wow. the story. I know. Pretty crazy, right? Apparently, though, he regained some sensation in his legs recently. So he's been able to kind of go. He's been going through physical therapy. Um, unfortunately, the guy was diagnosed to type 2 diabetic. So he's yeah. he's got problems. But he's a really creative, wonderful advocate of film. And that's really what he came from, the perspective. Like, he's, you know, the, uh, and the interviewer was asking him, you know, would you consider yourself a film critic, right? And I said, you know... I could consider myself a film advocate. I watch five to seven movies a day. I wow. live for film. I mean, these, you know, film festivals are vacations for me because <laughs> I get to hang out with people who love film as much as I do. And that's a refreshing experience, you know, and he was really wonderful. And I got to meet him afterward and like shake his hand and like just joke about stuff. And Tell me you got a picture. I didn't, unfortunately. Ah, no. Fired. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Actually, that's a perfect tie-in, because on that note, uh, welcome to Nerds on Film, everybody. Yay! Uh, I'm Brian Moriarty. And I'm Roxy Noberry. 
first time as official co-host up top. <laughs> All right, very cool. Uh, Thank and, you. Uh, speaking of Cinequest, Cinequest celebrates achievements in independent film. It's a top ten mm. film festival. It's an Oscar qualifier, actually, by the way. Nice. And tonight we actually have a, a very special guest on our podcast. We have an independent filmmaker himself. Um, his most recent film we, we we're here to talk about, <laughs> Roxy, it has something to do with Lord of the Rings. Yay. Uh, it is uh, <laughs> the film is The Rise of the Fellowship. And the director is Ron Newcomb. Ron, welcome to hey, our podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, I'm a big, big fan. Excited to be here and talk film and nerdism. Oh, <laughs> you came to the right place. Absolutely. So <laughs> I think the first thing we want to know right off the bat is um, what drew you in? What, what What was the moment that made you decide, yes, I want to be a filmmaker? Well, you know, for uh, independent filmmakers, for so long, you almost couldn't even go past the thought of thinking I could do this because of the affordability factor. You know, it, digital wasn't really taken seriously at the time that I was kind of considering it. And so it was an exploratory art, if you will. And everything had to be shot on film. And so when you kind of crunch the numbers, it was like it would have cost me like 50 grand just to get the film stock. You know, and wow. to an independent filmmaker, that is just a huge volume of cash that you have to go out and raise. And I think you're just going to drop that on film stock is just is just crazy. So, I mean, at first, you you start to think through the possibility of all the hurdles and hills you have to go through and can start to see, wait a minute, I might be able to do this. And with the acceptance of other independent filmmakers kind of forging the way through digital age and things like that. Uh, it's kind of funny to think about now because all the major studios are have switched over to to digital and it's kind of here to stay. But at first, it really was a question whether or not it's going to be accepted. So that was kind of the first realization that, holy cow, I think we could do this because it was simply just affordable. And that was the first time I felt like we could overcome that hurdle. Yeah, I mean, it's really crazy to think now how you can produce a really, really good looking image now with a camera that is one, not even one, one thousandth of the cost of yeah. some of these cameras that were used in Hollywood. It's really unbelievable. So like many independent filmmakers, digital was the gateway yeah, for you. No doubt about it. I mean, digital was gateway, kind of the affordability factor, but also the cool factor because you're kind of converting everything into digital anyways. So, you know, that made sense. And then you got CGI. That's all digital. That made sense. And the camera's getting smaller and, and more commercial and they're more mobile now. So, you know, you got films releasing. Somebody just got a worldwide distribution off of an iPhone movie. <laughs> like speaking of mobile. Oh. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's unbelievable now. I mean, uh, Apple shot one wow. of their, their most recent ads Entirely on an iPhone, just to show yes. how cool the medium was. And I think what they used, a, there was a scene from the Avengers that was shot on an iPhone, just to see if they could do it. So, yeah. it's, I mean, it's it, the platform has changed completely now. But, I mean, it doesn't change. That I think you, you still have to be a good storyteller, though, to be able to... Yeah, you know, what that's done, unfortunately, for, for guys and, and gals like me is is it really has kind of opened the floodgates. And so there's so much content out there. There's so much white noise that how do fans find you? So, mm. you know... To, to your point, Roxy, the, having that voice to say, hey, I've kind of vetted this film um, from a guy like, you know, Ain't It Cool, uh, and and saying this is a film that I would recommend helps give a voice to filmmakers like me. And without that voice, without people like yourself out there doing that, um, filmmakers like myself don't ever really find a voice. It's so hard to get through the white noise. So that's really kind of created this 
volume of films, good or bad. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, there, you're right. There is so much out there now. I mean, with YouTube, it's unbelievable. There's, I think they say now that they, was it 100 million videos done? Not not per day, because that seems like that would be impossible. But, oh, God. I mean, who knows? YouTube is such an animal of its own that it, <laughs> right. it's a really mass-producing machine of content that right. can range from, you know, HD quality film to, I don't know, something with your, you know, webcam. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and Vimeo is uh, very much the, the same too. way. Yeah, Vimeo, I mean, it's obviously a much higher caliber of content, but it's yeah. there's so much of it. That being said, yeah. you figured out that you had the ability to do this, and you, you had a, a medium, and then what did get the film more recognition, your first film more recognition? What was that process like? Every independent filmmaker likes to think that the story will stand on itself, and it will find an audience based on the story alone. And yet, when you're trying to get into the commercial market and trying to you know, still push DVDs, which is a you know dying, dying format, when you're still trying to do that, it really is a little bit of star power. And we may not like that, but it is. So the first thing that we tried to do was was to establish ourselves with a star. And so in nerdism, that doesn't always necessarily mean an actor. And so what we did was at first we looked at actors, certainly. But when that didn't go our way and they were just kind of a little bit above budget, we went to the next big thing, and that was a video game. And so ah. what we did was we got the Lord of the Rings online video game. We tapped into that intellectual property which really kind of opened the doors to give us many opportunities to have conversations with people where we never would have. So that really became our A-list talent because the fans we knew wouldn't care so much about who was starring in it so much as, all right, what game do you have? And if it didn't have some particular IP that they were familiar with, then we were we were dead in the water. So that was the the number one thing we did. We went after a strong game interesting so you you let a subculture be your megaphone essentially so that that's yes. all that's awesome and i really like how it's um the video game itself actually plays a really smart an awesome part in the film and um there's a lot of really cool scenes where you guys interplay the the playing of the game itself into the yep. scene and i think that's really done seamlessly and really awesomely because it's just like yeah. i love the the one where they're all playing it together right and it's kind of like the comic book strips of them um all the shots of the actors being put together and uh i think that was just done really creatively well yeah i agree and i like the comic book editing style where it's you got the little slash panels going in and that was that was very very clever and very well done and just like the shots of the actual rpgs like playing each other and oh my gosh that was exciting yeah. <laughs> yeah it was a lot of fun to do you know that's the other thing about knowing your fan base i mean you talk about comic-con we know our fan base because we are the fan base um, you know, so our, our editor, Brian Pennington, really captured that moment. And when he kind of came with that idea of like, what do you think about laying down a comic book style? It was brilliant. It was awesome. <laughs> so because that's what our culture, that's what our fan base, that's what they see. That's what they look at. That's what they identify with. It felt very natural that there a comic book strip would lie mm -hmm. uh, in the story. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun to do. Nice. Great. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I'm also was very impressed with the illustration, too, that you guys were able to integrate that and with the, the motion graphics, with just the titles and stuff. Oh, so yeah. who was who was your illustrator on the film? That was a lot of fun, wasn't it? And again, I have to give credit <laughs> to our editor, uh, Brian Pennington. He has a brother, uh, Christopher Pennington, who did a lot of the illustrations. And then they did bring in another artist that is friends of uh, Christopher's and Brian's 
to kind of sweeten some some things up. But it was kind of a family affair. And, and again, that kind of goes back to the voice of the independent is as an independent filmmaker, you, you can't just shop everything around there. And when people get involved, they become like a little family, a little community. If you've ever done any type of community theater, mm. you know how tight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> totally. You're speaking to the yeah, you're preaching to the choir on that. <laughs> And, you know, we that feeling is so powerful and so cool. It's like, wow, we're a family. We're all creating together. Mm -hmm. And independent film is very much the same way. So, of course, once our editor was in, Brian, he just got it done. And that's what the the family does. Just gets it done. Right. And it seems like it was not just with him because your your brothers and sisters are in the movie, too, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I kind of pulled in the whole family as well. Uh, In fact, my dad at first, when I told him I was going to make a a feature film, he kind of was thinking, all right, he's going to run around with a handy cam in the backyard and (laughs) make a movie. And, you know, my dad's very much traditional guy where you go to your nine to five, you you know, you take care of your family and, and that's the way it is. And then here I was talking about making a feature film. But I have to give him credit because when he saw the camera and all the crew, the professionalism that we were really taking it, my dad all of a sudden was like, holy cow, you mean like a real movie? So my dad ended up helping us do craft services and running stuff. And it was, yeah, it, it was really cool. And, you know, you you like to give opportunities to people too. So pulling in other people and family members, giving them an opportunity to, to be involved was always epic. Yeah, it's definitely a cool feeling. I directed a short film a couple years ago and I'm very much a stickler about making sure that we have the best we can do at the time with what we've got. And yeah. it is kind of a cool feeling when people walk in and they're like, oh, this actually looks like a real set. <laughs> right. You know, you know, they're like, oh, this is like this is a real movie. This isn't like like you said, playing around in the backyard. With yeah. The, with you know, what? I really like how you talked about the family aspect of creating the film, because you can tell within the film itself, you get the feeling that this film has a lot of heart and um, the actors all regard each other with this affection and this closeness. And you can tell that everyone is really just comfortable with each other. And I think that the fact that, you know, your film was made with so much family and so much togetherness involved it shows in the quality and the characterization and the story as a whole like it's really effectively done like that yeah no I definitely appreciate it I mean we kind of pulled the actors together early we knew just like our you know Peter Jackson with the four hobbits he kind of brought them together (laughs) to bond we knew we needed to get this crew bonded together because these are like lifelong friends you know they grew up together they've gone through trials and struggles so that's you know I I give credit to the professionalism of the actors they Mm -hmm. pulled together and they just left it all there you know as an actor that's so just revealing it's so yeah do just bear yourself in front of a a crowd of people most people don't see how many crew members are behind the camera staring at you giving your performance (laughs) and for them to do that so vulnerably and looking at me for did i get it right as Mm -hmm. a director is a lot of fun and really cool and they trusted me and and they trusted each other so so yeah i definitely think it came came through on screen it didn't hurt that we also had a professor in acting at a at a university. Uh, he's the character Baba Melvin. <gasps> oh, really? That makes so much yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Baba Melvin was awesome. Of course, he was. Oh my gosh! Tell no. me more. Can I ask you more about the actor? So his name's Wolf J. Sherrill, right? 
Yes. Um, so you're saying that Wolf is a professor of acting in theater? I know. You would not think it. You would think he <gasps> he gets to go and, you know, be a professional actor all the time because really? he is that good. I mean. And although I'm sure he could do that. He does have a, a wife and a son. Um, oh. And so I think he kind of wanted to settle down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But he is so talented. Yeah. He actually, you know, day one when you're filming, you're kind of sitting there waiting like, all right, are we going to take this serious? You know, your first <laughs> shot, like what's going to happen? And when you call action and a guy like that jumps on screen, oh. every other actor goes, holy cow, I need to up my game. This guy's legit. Yeah. yeah. I, I loved his voice, too. Oh, his voice God. is like, he should be doing commercials. His hair. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and of course, the, yeah. <laughs> the flowing locks of yeah. hair and the facial yeah, hair. Yeah. <laughs> Fabio look. And uh, actually, it was funny because one time they're doing this. Uh, we're at this commune and they're doing this dinner and there's a long table up in front. Uh-huh. And so all the main characters are kind of sitting there. And he's sitting in the middle. And I kind of had pause for a moment because it looked like, you know, the painting of the Last Supper where you have Jesus <laughs> in the middle with the long flowing flocks. I was just like, wait a minute, we can't do this. this is, we need to change an angle or something's not, not right. Um, I'm such a big fan of Wolf's that I actually cast him in my next project. I, I, I knew two things. I wanted to do a fantasy and I wanted Wolf in it. And that's all I knew when I started. Nice. So, he's great. That's awesome. Well, so I know that we want to dive in deep. We want to talk about a lot of the different aspects of the movie. Um, Absolutely. So first of all, production value was extremely impressive. What was the budget for the movie? You know, budget is always a little elusive, and, and you see that with studios. They, they talk about, well, this is a three to five million dollar film, you know, and mm-hmm. they used to really do that all the time. They know down to the penny how much they spent, and yet they kind of label it a three to five million. That's a two million dollar difference. Like, you don't know, <laughs> if you know, which one is it, a three or a five? But, um, <laughs> you know, in understanding that, what they're talking about is when you go to people, as an independent filmmaker, and you say, okay, I have X amount of dollars to spend here. How much are you worth? And let's say you go to a director of photography, and he says, okay, my rate is $10,000. And I'm like, okay, well, I can only afford $5,000. Would you be interested? And he says, okay, yes. Well, then I bank $5,000, okay, because I give him $5,000, but he's worth $10,000. And so that bankable $5,000 goes towards your production value. Not mm-hmm. production costs, but the value of the production increases. Yeah. And so you do that kind of tenfold. And then on top of it, we had the Lord of the Rings Online, the video game that marketed directly to their customer base. Uh, so usually when you market, if you hit 10%, that's really high. Lord of the Rings Online, the games in the film, you're talking an 80% rate was interested in the fact that the game that they play was in this film. Nice. Um, wow. So you have an actual cash budget you have a value budget and then you have kind of your projections of you know what all that kind of brings together so actual liquid cash we spent around 250,000 i would say so you have 250,000 dollars liquid capital cash but then you can go into with all the advertising and marketing and then you know what their cost is versus what we paid them and all that you get around close to about a million dollars Wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that well, is a budget. <laughs> so, I mean, where did the funding come from? Did you get investors to believe in the project or did you resort to prostitution? Like what happened? <laughs> like, no, you, did you, you sell yourself, much, Ron? <laughs> everything is on the table, okay? Nothing. 
<laughs> whatever it takes. You, you kind of go to you go to friends, families, and fools. You go to your inner circle first, <laughs> and then you kind of work out from there. And you're, the hardest money is the first money in. So you're trying to convince your friends, like, no, I'm serious. This is a potential ROI. And with where I'm at, I'm out of the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. Yeah. So where the difference is, is that there's money here, but they don't invest in film. So a lot of my investors actually laughed at me and were like, dude, you're in the wrong place. You need to like go to California. You're not pitching to the right place. Mm. So I had to educate my customer, my, my investor, that no, 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 I'm serious, one. And two, you can make money at this. <laughs> and so once I did that and got over that little hump, they were willing to listen to me. So it was old school angel investors, man. I, I just had to, you know, keep knocking on doors. You never leave a conversation without saying, you know, who else should I be talking to? Mm. Trying to just see if you could get funding. Yeah, and, and they, they had awesome. to probably understand that when you were putting the money in, that there was a, there's a chance that they may not get the money back, right? Like, oh, yeah. And I can tell you from, as a producer, you're just praying to God that you'll break even. <laughs> you right. know, you're <laughs> get the money back you know, um, is, is kind of step one. And then you're like, Hey man, let it roll in. And you're always kind of hoping for that. But that's the first step is get their money back and then go again. Because if you can get their money back, what happens is, is that there's some really good investors out there for film that have been burned. And mm. so other independents, filmmakers like you and I, you know, when you go to them, they're like, Nope, I've done that. And I didn't get any money back. So no, I'm out. So, gotcha. So at least if you get them some of their money back, then they're like, okay, well, you're not a, a flake. Right. Like you, you, you can restore you the their faith in the yeah. process. That's it. You, even if you just break even, they go, okay, you know, I did that. I'm, I might be willing to go again because they know you're trying to build what I'm trying to do as an independent. And again, I, I encourage everybody, all the listeners out there to do the same is to, to try to build a brand. You know, what's your brand? What's your label? When people think of fantasy film, that I want people thinking of Ron Newcomb. Like, oh, that's that dude <laughs> in, you know, DC that had this little cool film and that's what I want people thinking of. That's great. So. And, I, and I love that it's so regional, too. I think that I genuinely think that's what going to be the future of what film and theater kind of takes on is that we're going to see these more regional area filmmakers who get their, their voice and find their market in that part of the country. It's not all about California anymore. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's interesting. Not, you know, when I, I actually lived in California for a, a short time and it's kind of like bringing sand to the beach where everyone's a filmmaker. You know, you're everyone is. But here, I'm a filmmaker. Ooh, you know, right. <laughs> oh, you're an independent film. You're one of those guys. <laughs> if if you're smart and you're an independent filmmaker and you're you're outside of Hollywood, what you're trying to do is is find other independent filmmakers, other producers to make your voice louder. And it's certainly what we're doing here in what we call the DMV area. So. I live so close to Washington, D.C., so it's D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. We've all come together as producers, and we have this producers group where we support each other, and we really are trying to give a bigger voice to our area, and wow. I think it's the kind of smart and new way to do things. Nice. Yeah, then that's totally right, and I love how there's the mystique of it too, right? <laughs> because you are not in the highly saturated part. Exactly right. People want to say, okay, well, what do you guys got to say? You know, we, we've heard you shouting. You know, let's see it. Mm -hmm. So, it, but then you got to produce. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And <laughs> you certainly did. So I take it that once you got the money, that's when you kind of like, okay, let's get the cinematographer, let's get the casting director, yeah, and all yeah. that stuff together. So, so you know, I mean, then then it really starts to pick up momentum. You know, you get the business plan. Well, first, of course, you're, you're spending months and months trying to get the story right because everybody knows without a story, you're dead. Yeah. So then yeah. We spent just as much time though on the business plan, which is crazy. 
uh, you get the investors in, then it's off to the races, man. You move from development to pre-production in like a minute. And you're like, holy cow, we're doing this. Then you got to secure everything that you promised in that business plan suddenly <laughs> has to come to fruition. So you're like, okay, we need to lock down that location, secure that actor, get that contract. You're doing all kinds of crazy stuff, man. You got to get insurance. You know, you had quotes. Yeah. Now you got to get real. It's very, very fast paced. Independent filmmakers become producers out of a byproduct of a need to become them. Usually they're yeah. actors or writers. But no one's making film there, so they're like, hey, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. Well, they become a producer, and so they're doing all these things they've never had to do before, and it's it's really interesting. It's really fast-paced, but you know, it's it's an epic journey. I've never felt more alive when you're in the midst of wow. that, too. Yeah, I, mean, of- I, I imagine. <laughs> it's like you get creative freedom from it all, but you're working so damn hard that you feel like chained to your project. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Must be a lot of oh, yeah. pressure. Yeah, you know, you 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 kind of are freaking out the whole time. You're mm. screaming in your head, like, you know, can we do this? Do we got it? And as the team develops, you realize, you know what? We do got it. Nice. We got this thing, and <laughs> it just it just gelled like that. We had an awesome team. Any producer that gets up there, you kind of saw it at the Oscars. You know, it, it, they can't take personal credit. It nope. is never one individual. That may have been the spark, maybe happened in my head, mm-hmm. but I couldn't begin to list the name of people because I would miss somebody that played a significant role in the making of this film. There's just too many people to list, and I'm so grateful to them that they came together that just roll the dice and have some fun. Absolutely. Uh, you're credited as not only director and writer, but producer and then um, actor as well. So that's yeah. that's like four or five credits right there. <laughs> alone. Yeah, I try not to go too deep in the credit line because sure. you don't want to look like, wow, it's the Ron show. You oh. know? <laughs> sure. Yeah. To be like that. But, you know, my first love was acting. Oh, no kidding. um, That's how I got into directing. I've realized that I love directing. And it's because you're so close and personal and intimate with the actors. Mm -hmm. That's why I love it. And I can see what needs to happen on screen visually from an acting point of view. My DP, who ironically was also my editor, Brian Pennington, (laughs) (laughs) which was very beneficial. Uh, This young guy (laughs) is phenomenal. He really focused on the technical aspects, and him and I would talk through different things, but the technical side he had taken care of, which was awesome. Wow, what a partnership. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, I would love to talk about the actors. I mean, you talk, Ron, about how your first love is acting, and I'm curious about the process of casting and how important that was to you to really cast the right core of actors that could really carry this story and um, present such an awesome film. Yeah, well, you know, anybody knows that watches a movie and and we're all fans. You know, you guys, all your listeners are fans of films and Mm -hmm. you know how important acting is. And so we knew we needed to nail it. We had to get it right. So when we went out there and searched and we got the actors, we auditioned 450 people. I pretty much had the wow. You know, you want to audition? Come and audition. I just <laughs> left it open. I let them do it because I knew when I was an actor, I wanted the opportunity. It didn't matter how far it was away. Let me decide as an actor if I wanted to go or not. But don't disclude me because I'm in the next state or something. Totally. So we have people coming from New York and Pennsylvania and as far south as like South Carolina. And oh. in fact, one of the guys that we cast lived in the southern part of North Carolina. So hmm. um, his mom would have to travel. They'd have to travel like six, seven hours to get Wow. Up. To, to shoot yeah yeah that but he did it dedication oh yeah. my god yeah. no kidding <laughs> yeah. well one of the actors the guy well the, the main actor 
uh, the Randall, he also did he did some post work for you guys too, didn't he? He did. He's he's a uh, was a film student at the time. He's since graduated and become quite a filmmaker himself. He's nice. producing this uh, short film series, like a web series called Genre Wars: Resistance Rising, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> um, he's he's really gone on and done some cool things. I think his first love again, like me, is acting. But he has a lot of various talents. In fact, all of the gaming footage that was cut together, not the comic book style, but the actual editing of the game footage, the actor, Randall, um, played by Justin Moe, yep. did that. So Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He went all of our gaming footage and nice. pulled together a little story out of it. It was so cool. You, there's actual game footage storyline. <laughs> oh man, that's amazing. Were all of the actors um, that were involved, they had they all been uh, familiar with the game already? Or did you guys have to go through like a, I don't know, a gaming boot camp for a couple yeah, of them? Yeah, no, great question, because not everybody's a, a geeky gamer like me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Most of them were at least familiar with, you know, MMO, RPG style gaming with the advent of World of Warcraft and, you know, Lord of the Rings Online and things. Sure. Uh, one of the guys, Squirrely. <gasps> I love Squirrely. Yeah, was, <laughs> he's awesome. He is a true gamer at heart. Oh, and yeah. A great talented guy. He's since moved out to L.A. and, and booked a national commercial. We're really proud of him. Nice. We hope right he's all the way. But he was a gamer, and so he would help kind of zero in the other actors. Emma <laughs> Ernest, actually, the 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 girl, Stacy, yeah, she was a gamer, oh. so she she got into to WoW. But we did go through like a little boot camp. We went oh. online with Lotro and said, "All right, guys, go create some characters, form a fellowship, and go out and kick some butt. Ha. You know, build some orcs and ring race, and you know, we want Randall being the leader and." And they did it, and they were really into it, and a lot of fun, and that certainly helped with the bonding process. It was uh, it was cool. It's funny because the one character, Cole, who plays Nate, he's actually getting his PhD over in Scotland right now. <gasps> and wow. He, yeah, very, very intellectual, and yeah. he was the oldest out of all of our four hobbits, and he <laughs> didn't really know much about gaming, so... Jamie, the actor that played Squirrely, told him about aggro. And so there was a scene where all Cole kept saying was aggro, aggro, aggro. And I was like, <laughs> dude, you got to chill out with the aggro. That's always going to happen. OK, so he, uh, it was a lot of fun, though. It was really, really funny. We kind of kept razzing him the whole time. So even today, I can say aggro. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is just it is so brilliant because you basically you knew your target audience from the beginning. Right. So you you were able to use that as a means to get the film out there, but also for crowdsourcing the content. I mean, that is definitely <laughs> ingenuity. At yeah. its finest. Very resourceful. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We, had, we had other stories that we could have gone with, but this is the one we knew where we can mobilize people behind and people felt like, you know what, I'd like to see this on screen. And with the, you know, the Hobbit was. At that time, when we first started, it was just a rumor. And so we kind of played our cards saying, no, that's going to be made. And people are going to want content. So we kind of gambled on a little bit and sure enough, paid off. And then, boom, we got three films out of it, which is awesome. <sighs> and and then, you know, so hopefully our film will also have a life with that. And we, when we were in Walmart, we released right around The Hobbit and Walmart and Netflix and Amazon and all that stuff. So that was that's been a trip. It's been cool. Nice. Yeah, that's really, really great. Sounds like your experience as well after the film has been released has been pretty successful and fantastic. Um, you guys have been winning awards, it sounds like. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, on, I'm looking at the website right now for the film itself. And let me see. It says, what, what did you guys win? You won... Uh, 
we we got into a few festivals, but the one that we won that we wanted so bad to win because yeah. it's our fan base is Gen Con. I was gonna say it's the Gen Con one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean that was, that's like you know yeah. that was Sundance. You know that was it for us, nice. and so for us to actually win it, and and you're talking there's some good films in there with some budgets mm. in it, you know, and for us to win, not just get accepted, accepted is good enough, but to win it you know we couldn't believe it it was it was awesome so to yeah. be an alumni of the gen con film festival extremely proud it was so cool yeah and for uh, those street of Sight kings it was fun nice absolutely yeah and for those in our audience who don't know what gen con is uh, i i find that doubtful because this is a nerd podcast but <laughs> but uh, if you no know, on the off the off chance to someone who's not gen con is like the biggest gaming convention in the country and it takes place usually in Indianapolis uh, for a week in the middle of the summer. It is nerd mecca, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, you go there, there's people playing board games, card games, and film screenings, apparently, too. So so if you don't know, for, now you know. Now you do. <laughs> you, you now know. Yeah. One week of the year, Indianapolis is just like this cesspool of nerdism. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then the rest oh, of the year, man. it's just kind of normal. Right? <laughs> um, okay, so I, I know that two people here who are guests or co-hosts on Nerds on Film couldn't be here tonight. Sean Moriarty, my other co-host and older brother, uh, couldn't be here. But he he really wanted to know, you've already answered a couple of his questions, but he really wanted to know two things. One, how the title changed from The Fellow's Hip to The Rise of the Fellowship? No, that that's a great question. Um, what happened was is that originally, like way back in the first edition of the screenplay of the script, it was called The Fellowship. That was it, The Fellowship. And then when we went to the Lord of the Rings Online, you have to start going through the proper protocol to get permissions from the Tolkien estate and right. um, this company called Saul Zance that owns the property rights to all that. And they asked us if we would consider a potential name change. They weren't requiring it, but they just kind of asked. And we were like, you know what? Sure, we'll do it. So we did it. And it became the Fellows Hip Rise of the Gamers. And so internationally, you can even find it under that that name. However, and of course, the Fellows Hip is the name of their guild. You know, their, mm-hmm. their group. However, our domestic distributor was trying to market it properly and they weren't sure that people would get that name and they were a little concerned with that. And this is the lens that they look through. And thank God they do because, you know, it's the business they're in. They suggested that we change the name to Rise of the Fellowship so that people would understand and figure out where to find us and what box to kind of put us in. Like, oh, okay, this is a you know coming-of-age story about these four gamers type thing. So our distributor was the ones that ultimately made the decision to change the, the name to Rise of the Fellowship. They simply just felt it was more marketable. Yeah. I mean, it is a pretty epic name for a film. <laughs> I, it's pretty tight. I mean, you, you really you really don't hear the word fellowship now and not think of Lord of the Rings. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and so speaking of which, you mentioned having to get approval from the Tolkien estate, of course, to mention to use the content. What was so, that like? Yeah, I want we want to know what that's mm. like. Yeah, so that was, you know, kind of some working around some some angles. Um when we first went to the company called Turbine that has the rights to the Lord of the Rings online video game, they had the rights. So I'll tell you what we have. It's actually pretty simple. So as an actor, when you come on set and I capture your image, I get a release. And that release allows me to use your image in my film. Yeah, That's what we have with Lord of the Rings online. We simply have a release to use their product in our film. Wow. We didn't necessarily have to go to the Tolkien estate or to Saul's Zance. 
Turbine, as well as us, felt it was in our best interest to do so. So they didn't officially give us a thumbs up, nor did they sanction it or approve it. They simply said, we don't have a problem with it, and we're going to defer to Turbine, the holding company, to decide and do what they want to do with it. And so Turbine is who we have the release from. And what that release says is we're allowed and have permission to use the video game in the movie. So it's Uh, actually pretty simple. It sounds complicated. But it's simple. It's just a release. Yeah. I guess then what I'm curious about is what um, is Peter Jackson's involvement in the whole mix of the property rights so, and things like that? Yeah. So let me tell you how I kind of finagled. To get, if you go on IMDb and scroll like all the way to the bottom of Peter Jackson, you will find our film affiliated with Peter Jackson on IMDb. It's pretty funny. Nice. And let, me tell you, let, me, let me tell you how I did that. <laughs> so, of course, you've got to – I'm such a huge fan of, of Sir PJ that <laughs> I, uh, I, I reached out to him. And thank God he wasn't making The Hobbit because he probably would have been too busy. But Aww. I reached out to him and through a, an assistant, I got an answer. We put his name in the movie. Because we refer to him in the movie saying, you know, that they wanted to go and visit Peter Jackson and kind of the Mecca's New Zealand and all yeah. this stuff. And so he allowed us and gave us permission to use his name in the film. And so we gave him a thank you in the film. Boom. We got connected to him on IMDb, baby, through a thank you. And the film. That's right. That's how Peter Jackson is, is associated with it. Now, as far as the rights go... So a lot of your fans, I'm sure, do um, and love fan films, fan fiction. But that's where you have to be very careful of when you're dealing with other people's IP and, and intellectual property rights. So someone else's property that they've developed, you know, yeah. doing fan films. People think that you can just go and do fan films. You actually cannot legally. You can you can find yourself in a little bit of trouble and they can put it basically stop doing what you're doing type thing. But a cease and desist letter essentially. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They can say, stop it. Most uh-huh. companies, though, and most IPs find it flattering. And, and if it's good enough, they're like, great. Go a good and example, do- that being the so, Star Wars uh, exactly. franchise. There's, there's been a lot that people have made that have actually been good. I've seen a ton, like we all have, <laughs> which at the production value was amazing. And so these people get a little bit of... But see, what they're doing is they're writing the coattails of that IP. This filmmaker never would have potentially got as popular, per se, had they not done a direct link to this particular property so they have to be very careful and why is that the reason is because new line cinema and saw zance came to a relationship where saw zance gave sole rights to any film media made for lord of the rings ip to new line cinema and so they're not allowed legally to get that out to like guys like me to go and make a fan film they can't do it legally in fact they have to stop it because any funding and resources and fans created as a result of that is owned by them so you know you kind of as a fan have to understand that a little bit uh, so peter jackson doesn't really have a stake in the sense of the tolkien or lord of the rings ip he's just very intimately involved with it the guy is a you know zealot when it comes to finding and and diving deep into a particular topic that he loves i mean look at what he did with king kong and totally so yeah it sounds like though if you have the okay or this the the pocket okay of the tolkien family and you've got the okay of the company who is making the game it's almost like you know you got two out of three at that point and plus you've got peter jackson's okay because you gave a thank you it's like 
are you really going to stop this? You know, it's a harmless yeah. movie. And, and if anything, it's free marketing for the Lord of the Rings movies. Absolutely. Right. right. And this is what the, the like the Saw Zans group, right? This is what basically they said. We can't sanction it because we've already given the rights out to New Line Cinema. But what we can say is, is we don't have a problem with it. We're going to say that. And we're going to defer it back to Turbine. So Turbine, do what you want to do. So that's how, how we did it. And they were really cool about it. And they were like, you know, you guys did it right. We encourage fans to get a hold of us and contact us and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, some people, like I said, some IPs out there, like comics and stuff, they want fans to make stuff. <laughs> so it wow. just depends on what it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it is totally flattering, like you said. And it's a it's a sign that your influence is increasing if people want to mimic the work that you've done, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it was right. Sean's other question. Sean, well, you mentioned having to go through all this work uh, with with IP, and I'm actually very curious because for me, for me personally, I noticed there's moments where there are sound effects that sound very much like the Ring Wraith sound effects from Lord of the Rings, and shots that are recreated, not in exact form, but but close enough yeah. where you, you get the idea. Like makeup and costume yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, but Sean wanted to know is that the orc makeup in this was <gasps> phenomenal. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and what yeah. what was the process, and how long did it take to recreate that look? Again, my my DP and editor Brian Pennington, I got to give a lot of credit to him. He he is just as much of a fan as, as I am. So in our color palette, when we colored the film, we co- we watched the Lord of the Rings, and you'll see the color palette actually change in the film based upon the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings. It yeah. starts to be a little darker and goes a little bit lighter. It, that was very much intentionally done. And when you pull together a great team like that, that's what happens. We had two sisters that came over from the UK that did all of our makeup, including, you know, just hair and makeup for everybody. But they also did our epic female orc makeup. And I don't know many other female orcs out there. So we, I'm hoping we had a first there. That was um, incredible. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun. And, you know, what's even cooler is originally in the script, that was a, a male role. But the actress, Ashley Batten, was so good. Wow. That it was like, oh, man, I think she could be this lead commune girl. <laughs> and, and so we cast her as like the lead commune person when originally that was a guy and I, she nailed it. It was, it was phenomenal. So here she's very pretty, very feminine, very sweet. And she becomes this epic dark orc, you know, full of evil and, and, you know, hatred and, and really went after it. And of course our, our makeup artist changed over that, but certainly we went through and looked at our shot list and lined it up with certain shots from Lord of the Rings. There's a oh moment where the kids totally. get off the road, and it's that's the, one of my favorite parts right. in this film. I loved that how you did that. Yeah, that was, that was really a lot awesome. of fun. You know, and we recreated it through the ring wraith of our ring wraith, the the motorcycle yeah. older brother guy, and and that was definitely intentional and very epic to do. Look through different shots and say, okay, what shot is this in? the Lord of the Rings trilogy uh-huh. and the girls were the makeup artists certainly looked back at the makeup and was like, okay, this is what we have. This is what we need to create. Mm-hmm. And they went through that. So, it, you know, it was very, very intentional. Totally. Sure. That whole scene that we were talking about with the orc, um, actually paying a, a kind of a, a parody of that orc leader. Lurtz, I think is the name of the character yeah, in Lord right. of the yeah, Rings. Boromir's right. death, basically. Yeah. Um, yes. And yeah. how you guys parodied that with, uh, with Squirrely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That was so fun. Oh, fun yeah. and dramatic and wonderful. And I loved yeah. it. Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about that shot. We, 
that was of course our epic, you know, Boromir death scene. Right. And that's what it, yeah. It was it was in this paintball battle, of course. And <laughs> originally we weren't sure if we were gonna have the arrows or not. So when you're filming, you just kind of get both. So we ended up having to shoot him with a bunch of paintballs. Oh my and god. <laughs> I ended up I so it was myself and another guy actually doing the shooting of the paintballs. Nice. Well, I hit on target, but the other guy was hitting him every place he did not have padding. <gasps> Little wow. squirrel no. got shot up in the arms and the oh. legs and everywhere he didn't have the padding. This guy was shooting him. Wow. Yeah. Sorry, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> no, I loved that scene. I loved how you guys did that so effortlessly and you really managed to match the original film in that way. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. Definitely good stuff. Well, so you've kind of made a, for lack of a better word, a spiritual sequel to this. You have, uh, uh, the movie Ranger that you're working on, or Rangers you're working on. Yeah, so the Rangers really is is diving deep into real fantasy, whereas Rise of the Fellowship, we kind of dipped into the fantastical world. Randall at times would dream and and dip into this fantastical world, yeah. and we would see things as orcs. And you know, what I did was now is with the Rangers. I took the moment you see Strider and he's introduced and he's pump, puffing on his pipe and you see this really cool shot of Viggo Mortensen yeah. and he just looks so cool. So what like, an intro, and, huh? Yeah, yeah, what an intro. You're like, who is this guy? What totally. are these Rangers about? And all this stuff. And, you know, I grew up in the 80s and I remember seeing Jedi and it was kind of the first, the same exact response. You're like, oh my gosh, what are these Jedi yeah. Uh, I don't know that they turned out to be exactly what I was hoping they would be. But, <laughs> That's another uh, bag of worms we don't yeah, have to open another, today. <laughs> however, what that essence of those characters and those questions and those promptings really just drilled into my soul, I wanted to explore the character of the Rangers. So I've created my own fictitious fantasy world called Adrasil. And on this world, you have these different kingdoms, very, very much like, you know, Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones and and all these great epic 80s fantasy films that I grew up with, like Conan and all these places, Crawl, Dark Crystal and all the stuff. And that's where you insert the Rangers. Mm -hmm. They're an elite group like the Navy SEALs of their time. They live out on the periphery in the borderlands and they travel in teams, but they're they're more than just you know, rangers living out. They're also the voice of the king. And, you know, they can walk in and they declare judgment on certain things. So it's it's a very epic story. I've spent months developing probably the last two years I've been working on this and, and then finally pulled the trigger for a Kickstarter campaign. Nice. So people can find us at therangersfilm.com. And the reason I went to Kickstarter was not because so much as you're like, hey, free money, you could, you know, get people to fund you and you go and make your project. It's more than that. Crowdfunding has to be more than that. It has to be fan funding, not just crowdfunding. I don't really care if someone who doesn't care about my project gives me money. I care about giving people the opportunity and the voice to be a part of my project and to be a part of the story. And that's what we invite people to do. Come and join us. Let's not, you know, the studios, because of the 80s and all the fantasy stuff, they lost some money. So they're not going to keep doing fantasy films. If we want fantasy film, then we have to provide that for ourselves. So I'm trying to develop content and become kind of the fantasy independent guy 
um, doing that. And that pulled together a phenomenal team, a great board of advisors. There's some other people in Utah called uh, Aerostorm Entertainment. They're doing some really cool fantasy. I've got them on our board of advisors. The godfather of web series, if you've ever seen Journey Quest or the films Gamers, wow. uh, Hands of Fate, Zombie Orpheus, those guys. <laughs> nice. they're, they're part of our uh, board of advisors. So I've really pulled in a, a, a great team to get this off the ground. I've never been more excited about a project. You probably tell I'm like spazzing out right now. Uh, <laughs> so you're but I can't so help. stoked. I'm so, I'm so excited about this. I, I can't help but to bring it to light. Uh, we've got a, a little miniature that we're giving away as part of the rewards, a, a card game, collectible card game that we created. So it's, it's been epic, and I can't wait wow. to bring this thing to life. It's going to be cool. And I don't know if it's going to be a feature film. Um, we're going to start out as a web series, but if we get to huh. a certain point of giving, we're going to go for a feature. And you mentioned that the actor um, Wolf Sherrill is going to be involved in it as well? Oh, he's my lead. I'm, I was going to say, he better be your I'm lead. Going <laughs> I'm going heavy, and guess what his name is? Wolf. That's so <laughs> cool. Yeah, there you go. And, He's part of the wolf pack. He's a you know, he's a lieutenant. He's the lead dude in it, and it's his character and his story. And this rookie, they kind of partner up and seeing them and what this character is about. You know, again, think of looking at the eyes of not not Aragorn, but Strider, the ranger, looking through his eyes. Who is that character? And yeah. that's who we find in Lieutenant Wolf. He right. is. Uh, it's been awesome to do. We got a little teaser that we filmed up there that turned out epic. So nice. I'm excited about it, proud of it, and we've really put together a nice package, yeah. I think. Well, I mean, you have to name the protagonist Wolf. It's like, <laughs> it's like you're, you're not going to, like, what are you going right. to do? Like, what's your name? Where do you come from? My name is Harold. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> exactly. Know? Um, yeah. it, that's awesome. Well, we have one very important question from Dave and Sean, not quite on our formal list of questions, but are there orcs in this series? You know, that has been so fun creating this world. I mean, can you imagine you're a nerd, you're a fantasy dude, and you get to create your little world oh into it? So, God, of course, yeah. I have orcs. Yay! <laughs> regular orcs. We've got regular green skin orcs, but then I have an elite dark skin orc, the black orc. They're Ooh. like assassins, they're a little bit smarter. They're stronger. They're bigger. We've got female orcs. Uh, <laughs> it's It's been cool to do. We have dark elves, and nice. they're not um, potentially dark skin, like a lot of the Dungeons & Dragons type dark elf is. Um, they're more of, if you look at, I love the film Hellboy 2, because I think it's the <gasps> best, one of the best bad guys I've ever seen in a film. Oh, absolutely. And you look at that type of elf, very, very pale skin and stuff. Right. They're dark in the core of who they are. And so Ooh. they become these dark elves, or what we call the Umbran. And the Umbran are, are these pure elves, and they believe themselves as pure. They don't mix with others, and you know, just, and they become kind of the antagonists of the, of the film. And they start to uncover darkness, and it's I can't wait to bring this into a novel format. There's wow. a film out there that I'm sure all your fans know, that, or at least should, is Transmedia. And trans what Transmedia is, if you're a filmmaker, you should be thinking this way, is you're not just thinking of the film, right? You're thinking of all the periphery items you can have, like the miniature and the card game, but then also the novelization, the graphic novel, all these things, these other IPs that you can attach to your project. That's what you want. That's when you know you have a package. That is awesome. I, I love hearing your voice. You're like a kid in a candy store talking about this. <laughs> this you're like one of us. You're just nerding yeah. out. <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, if you guys weren't one of one of me, I would not be geeking out like that. I would be very formal. I used to. I was a marine. All right. I was a I was a cop for for six years. Uh, so I can be very 
stern, but I'm on, <laughs> you know, nerdism is my pure sense of who I am. So when you start talking about geeky stuff like that, I can't help but I just drip oh. out of it. Well, I mean, I'll tell you right now, if you need more orcs for an episode, uh, we're out in California, but I mean... I'm I, flying you in! Yeah, Yay! Yeah, <laughs> D- Dave said he'd be an orc in a heartbeat, and Sean has a message for you, and I'm going to quote him directly here. Please do. This is great. <laughs> uh, dear God, here we go. Uh, he said, Sean says, also tell him that I will suck his dick while fingering his butthole if I can be an orc in an upcoming Rangers episode. <laughs> He may be out. I think he's out. <laughs> oh my God, Sean! And we wonder why he's missing hey, today. Stupid. <laughs> the <man is> <laughs> um, wow. That's that's my brother. He perverse pervert with a heart of gold. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, now that we put that out there, um, can we <laughs> actually make this come to fruition? Just a bunch of nerdonomy folks cameoing as your garden variety elves. <laughs> in orcs. Uh, um Ron, dude, this has been an amazing interview. This has been Great. you've Great. shared so much with us about the process and so much about just what this world was like. Very insightful like. information. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. And we, we, we can't thank you enough for wanting to be on this podcast. It, it was it was so great. It's it's an honor because I mean, like I said, I'm a fan. And not just that, it's you know, without people like yourselves, you're the ones really giving a voice to the independents. Without you guys, without the heralds of the world, the ain't it cools of the world, the Elijah Woods don't ever get noticed. Um, the Frodo doesn't ever make his journey. And mm. so you guys have to have a voice. And, and you're doing that. And kudos to you for, for giving independents and guys like me the opportunity. You know, a family guy living out here in the East Coast uh, who, who couldn't go be a filmmaker, but you guys allow me that voice to go and live out an, a dream, an epic dream that I've always had, a calling even, that I feel the life that I was truly meant to live. You guys give me a voice in that. So I, I so appreciate it. Oh, this is well, your own fellowship journey. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, that is, well, that's very touching, Ron. And you know, you are always welcome back on our podcast. We want to hear more. We'd love to actually have you back on to to get an update about how the Ranger Project is going. Yeah, yeah. I encourage you guys to check it out. I mean, in, in all seriousness, not just trying to promote it. It it has turned out to be really, really cool. Uh, TheRangersFilm.com. It just shoots you over to our Kickstarter page for now, and then we'll just redirect it to our website when we're done. But it's been awesome. I mean, you should see the orc. If you like the orc makeup in the other one, which which was stellar, check out the orc makeup in this one. It, it, uh, so excited. <laughs> all right. It's legit. Sweet. And uh, like you said, Rise of the Fellowship is available on Netflix as well as uh, the normal channels like Amazon. and. Right. If you go to riseofthefellowship.com, you can find it in all the major areas. So Amazon and, and Netflix. It, it's You could still find it, every, the remnants in now in uh, Walmart and Sam's Club and stuff, the, the actual store. But you can also, on YouTube, um, they're, they're doing movies now, streaming. So, so yeah, you can find it in all the major areas. If you don't know, where, hey, man, how can I see this? You can go to our website, riseofthefellowship.com, and you can find us there. And again, supporting independent film like that means so much. So when you leave a comment or you give us a you know five-star rating, it does mean a lot. And it actually does help. At least me personally, it does. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and you guys are on Facebook too, so you can totally reach oh, out yeah. to your fans that way as well. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, all the major social outlets, Facebook, Twitter, and stuff. Oh, social media. Right. God bless it. <laughs> well, well, sir, it's been a pleasure, and uh, we will we will definitely have you on again. So y- you have yeah. a wonderful evening. Yeah, you, you guys too. I, I sincerely I appreciate it. Thank you guys. Thank you, You're Ron. Welcome. Have Take a care. good one. Hey, guys. Hey. Good night. Thanks. Good night. <laughs>
Wow, that was that was amazing. That was so cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm I'm kind of geeking out because when we got to talk to a director who's made a movie that's been distributed, but I mean like. How often do we get to geek out about ourselves, but he gets to geek out with us? Mm-hmm. It was it was a great feeling. Uh, definitely a great feeling. I mean, he is an insider into this industry, into this, you know, corner market of independent filmmaking. And to have this, you know, knowledge and this uh, wisdom to be able to know how to work the system and how to, you know, make films in, in this kind of, you know, market is really just powerful stuff. And he, oh my God, <laughs> he's a really cool guy. Yeah, Absolutely. And, you know, we hope that this is the stepping stones for future directorial interviews with people. Cause oh, that, yeah. Yeah. No, those are definitely fun. Definitely. <laughs> well, we've got, uh, we've got a little bit of feedback we want to share. So uh, if we wouldn't mind, Sean. Listener feedback. Yeah. Uh, we got a feedback from Shirley from Ontario. Yay, Canadians. Yes. Right. <laughs> Uh, hi, I love both the podcasts, and I'm currently working through Nerds on History since I've caught up with Nerds on Film. Right on. Thank you. Not an easy task with 75 episodes mm-hmm. to get through. Uh, or 76 at this point. I think. Wow. I think this is 77 we're doing right now. Oh my goodness. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> we're getting old. Yeah. Uh, she said, I downloaded loaded your Jack the Ripper episode, and uh, just after I had seen a Star Trek, the original series episode, in which Scotty is framed for murders that were committed by Jack the Ripper, who is at the time uh, looks like a lawyer from Rigel 4. <laughs> anyway, you would ask uh, what the listeners' ideas were about Jack, and all I could think of was Star Trek. Well, <laughs> I'm probably going to share that on the Nerds in History podcast as well, but that's that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Uh, she also goes on to say that I, I really enjoy Nerds on Film, and although I have only seen a fraction of the films that you discuss, I fully enjoy listening to the discussions. I know book-to-film adaptations is a pretty broad topic, so to narrow it down, I want to ask that what is your least favorite movie that is that was a book adaptation that did nothing other than take the book title and the characters but had nothing to do with the original novel oh my god i have one you do yes ella enchanted i Uh, know it's a childhood novel and i know it's a romance whatever but it starred anne hathaway and hugh dancy and they bastardized it okay that book was my favorite book as a kid okay as a teenager whatever i loved it loved it loved it and i was so excited when they were going to turn it into a movie and i was just oh my god anne hathaway that's perfect what the fuck did they do to that film? <laughs> gotcha. So it was pretty far off. That was horrible. Yeah, yeah, no, it was completely away from... I mean, they kept the whole premise of the main character, you know, having this problem with having to, you know, uh, she has to follow the rules and she has to do whatever anyone tells her and she has a curse, blah, blah, blah. But they, like, turned it into a musical and it just, like, completely just took away from the dramatic quality that the book contained. And that was really just heartbreaking for me as a fan. So I feel you, girl. Some of those book adaptations can really get messed up. Yeah, totally. Um, I don't have one to speak of at the moment. I'm sure there's one out there that I that I didn't really care for, but it's just not one I'm I'm prepared to answer at this point. I think I'll okay. we'll, I'll wait for Sean and Sarah to answer their that no, question I'm too. I'm sure they've got plenty. <laughs> um, Shirley did share hers though. She said that uh, her least favorite is the third and fourth Anne of Green Gables films. Uh-huh. The first were pretty good adaptations, but even my 10-year-old self, as she said, was disappointed with the third one. And then when the fourth one came out uh, a few years ago, I felt like they should have just have made a completely separate film because there are eight books in the series, and I'm sure they could have come up with a better plot than what they did with those last films. That's a very good point. Yeah. She ends with, uh, I am looking forward to my many more podcasts. They are really fantastic. And P.S. Sorry, Sarah, for my terrible grammar, but it's hard to type on an iPod. So, (laughs) all right. Wow. Well, Shirley, thank you 
Good questions. And we want we just wanted to give a thank you to, again to everyone who listened to our live Oscar podcast. Oh my god, if you guys did, I want to make a formal apology to um nobody because I had a damn good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we particularly want to thank Krista. She was kind of our one of our groupies who was kind oh. of there. Uh, she was the one who was tweeting back and forth with us throughout the whole process. Cool. And uh, it was definitely fun. We look forward to doing other live episodes in the near future. <laughs> so exciting. I loved it. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, I think that's all we've we've got. So. Okay. <laughs> no one's written anything about me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> you guys are awesome. And I'm glad to be here. And I know that uh, this being my first official podcast as a new co-host is um, really exciting. And I'm, I'm definitely um, interested to see what you guys think. So you can tweet me at Roxy. You know Barry, and you know, get in touch and say what's up because I'm down to talk, and I love both nerds on film and nerds on history. So I'm I'm definitely you know love staying involved with both. Definitely hit her up on on Twitter. You can also hit me up on at Brian Moriarty, and of course our company's Twitter handle at Nerdonomy, as well as our other many social media outlets that you can find us. Give us a review if you can. You know we love hearing the feedback, positive or negative. Negative just makes us better. <laughs> yeah. And um, you know, as you can tell we're, we're trying to really make this our day job we will we love doing it so much mm-hmm. that we just love being creative and being nerdy and uh, if you can if you have it in your heart and in your wallet please go to the homepage for nerdonomy and click on the donate button no amount is too small and if you also if you can't afford to make a donation um, but you have other business you have to take care of of course you can use our affiliate links on any of our episodes or on the sidebar of the homepage to uh, you know take care of your business and take care of our business that sounds awesome to me. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And uh, folks, until next time, stay nerdy and tune into us next week. Same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com. See ya. And roll credits. And now, famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. A wizard is never late, Frodo Baggins. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. Uh Uh-huh.